Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. This week, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. Last week, we began our, our look at the book of Philippians in chapter 1, a good place to start. Um, and we talked about how we as Christians need to live our lives with such this intersection in, in the here and now and eternity. That, that our lives need to not just be lived with this idea of like, well, one day I'm going to go to heaven. And that's really what this is all about. But that we're called to live a life in the here and now, in this world, with this world. And this week, I, I want to continue sort of down that same line of thinking, that, that sort of same vein of thought. As, as we look at what it means to live life in the here and now, and what God has called us to live or how God has called us to live that life. And specifically, the, the, the verses that I think we're going to look at today are, have a real connection to, to this, to church, to the body of Christ. And so I want to just share with you a little bit about that. And so we're going to start at verse 1 of chapter 2, and it begins like this. Therefore. Okay, I want to stop there for a moment because it's important that we understand something. Therefore is like a summary word. Meaning, taking everything I've just said into account and into consideration, this is the conclusion I want to talk to you about, or I want, it, I want you to take away. And so when you start reading a verse or a sentence of Scripture, and it begins with, therefore, or something like that, oftentimes to really understand what's being said, we need to go back a little bit. So it's important that we actually know what we're thereforing. Because what we're talking about is in response to everything that Paul had just written. So, so what is this in response to? What are these verses in response to? And when Paul wrote this letter to the church, he didn't write the letter with chapters and verses in it. That would seem a little preposterous, a, a perhaps a little arrogant to be like, I know you're going to want to memorize all of this, so let me break it up for you into easy memorizable chunks. He was just writing to some friends that he loved. And so the chapter and verse stuff was added later, and to, but to get a full picture of what he's talking about in verse 1 of chapter 2, we're actually going to have to jump back to verse 27 of chapter 1. Paul has just written the section that we read last week. The, the verses that we read last week lead us right up to about verse 27. And he's writing about this tension that he has in facing his death and yet wanting to be with Jesus but yet also wanting to remain here and to serve Jesus. And so this is what we come to in verse 27 when it says, whatever happens. Now what Paul's meaning here is, is he's talking about this tension of, am I going to live or, gonna, when I, or am I going to die? So when he says whatever happens, he means if I live or if I die. If, if Paul lives or if Paul dies, whatever happens to him, don't 
Don't let his death throw you off. Don't allow his death to affect your faith or your walk with God. To my friends in this church in Philippi, whether I live or die, it doesn't change what I'm going to tell you. So he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I will know, then whether I come and see you, or I think I missed this verse on here, then whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith in the gospel. Paul says, whatever happens he wants him to do this thing. He wants him to do something. And the phrase that he uses is this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Other translations will say things like, live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Christ. But the original word that's translated here gives a really interesting context into what Paul is talking about, what he's saying, what he's encouraging us to do. The original word, the literal translation is to live as a citizen of the gospel. Paul is challenging the people to live as citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now if you've ever traveled anywhere, particularly someplace touristy. Last summer, we, we had the pleasure of, of going to, to Mexico, to, to Cancun, and, and it was wonderful. And actually, we booked our trip one year ago yesterday. What a difference a year makes. There, there's no going to Mexico this year. But, but even when, when you go to these places, what you discover is that there are three kinds of people in these places. And even though they're this, in the same place, they take, this, they take it on differently. First, Obviously, there are the people who actually live there. There are the people who are actually from there. The locals, the people who live there. And they live like the people who are from there because they are the people who are from there. That, that's, how, that's what their culture looks like. They have their own customs and their own ways of doing things, ways of speaking, maybe even a distinct language or a dialect. But they live like the people who are from there because they are the people who are from there. Now, there's also tourists. There, there are the tourists who go there just to be somewhere that isn't home. And they wanted to get away. And although they're there, they're not really there interested in the culture of the people. They, they may be amused by the differences, but are not really interested in adapting to the way that things happen in this different culture. They want to be able to speak their own language, they, to have their own customs and do things their way just somewhere else. And so you have, have the tourists that are clearly identifiable as tourists and really have no interest in being anything other than a tourist. And third, there are the tourists who try and embrace the culture. They do their best to learn bits of the language. They try and adapt their customs and ways of doing things. They, they do their best to try and take on, on life where they are as, as someone from where they are at that moment. It, it's not a novelty, or, but, but it is still a novelty. It's only there for a reason. They're, they're not moving there. They're not becoming citizens. They, they've got a plane ticket back home, and once they get on that plane, they, they are planning to go back to the way they were before we arrived. This, this is the kind of tourist I am, for good or for bad. That when we go to Mexico, I try and speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish very well, but I try, and I, I try to, to, be easy, like, to take on, on that culture. But as soon as I get back on the plane, I'm not you know, speaking Spanish to the stewardess on the airplane or to the person taking my ticket or, or whatever. You revert back to, to who we are. And Paul is challenging the people. He's, he's saying to them, don't live as a tourist 
with the gospel. Not even a, a tourist who gets really into it for a season. Don't visit the gospel. Don't be like the first kind of tourist and come to the gospel, but don't allow it to change anything. Don't allow it to make a difference in your life. But don't, or don't talk and walk the same. Don't keep being the same person just as before, just, just in a different place. I, I'm really just here to get away from my old space, but, but I still want to live like I was there. That I'm just, I, I, I've taken on the gospel, but really I don't want it to change my life. I don't want it to change anything about me. I just, I just want to have the gospel here, but, but I don't want to change anything. And don't be like the second type, kind of tourist who, who embraces the gospel and gets into it, but really it's just a novelty. Really, it's just for a season in my life. I, I want to keep one foot back here just in case. I've, I've still got my plane ticket back to my old life so that I can return back to the things the way that they were and the way that they want to be just in case, just for when I'm ready to go back. I don't really want to fully commit to this thing. I, I kind of want to do both. But Paul here says, your citizenship has changed now because of Jesus. Live like it. Live there every day, all the time. You are now a local, a citizen. Your customs, this, you now have your own customs, your way of doing things as a citizen of the gospel. This is what you need to be like. And, and Paul is going to go in on the next couple of verses to describe what the local customs and language are for a citizen of the gospel. But sort of before that, he, he sort of unpacks for them. And this is why this is important to be a citizen and, and not just a tourist. In verse 28, he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted on your behalf, or on you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that verse right there about what it means that we've been granted the opportunity to suffer for Jesus, but that's not what we're going to focus on today. Uh, and then Paul concludes, since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had and am still now, or and I still, that I still have. Paul says, it's important to be fully committed as citizens of the gospel because the gospel is going to make things difficult for you. People are not going to like you. People are going to be opposed to you. Paul says, you saw the things that I was going through. Remember, we talked last week about how this is a letter that's written by Paul as he sat in a Roman prison for preaching Jesus. And Paul says, you, re you remember the things that I was going through. Well, now I hear you're going through some of the same things. That the gospel has begun to make your life more difficult. The honeymoon phase is over and it's getting really real now. It's not easy and it's getting tougher to follow Jesus. And you're going to need to be resolved and committed to this thing. Because guess what? You saw that I was going through it. And now you're going through it too. But... I'm still going through it. That, that same struggle, that same suffering, that same opposition, I am still in the middle of it. Welcome. There's room for everybody. Paul is saying, I wish I could tell you, oh, it's just for this little bit and then you'll get over it. But, but you knew I was there. Now you're here too and I'm still here. That this is the reality of the life that we take on as citizens of the gospel. And the only way you're going to make it through this season is for you to not be a tourist in the gospel, 
but to live your life like a full-fledged, born-again citizen of the gospel. Don't leave yourself an out. Don't leave an opportunity to jump back on that plane and head, head back home, but choose to live as a citizen of the gospel. And now we make it back to the place where we began today, the first or verse one of chapter two. Therefore, in light of everything we just talked about, your citizenship of the gospel, here's what comes from that. Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he, Paul connects the, this need to live as a citizen of the gospel to experiencing life together with other believers as part of a church. He unpacks for them, listen, if since becoming a believer, if since becoming a citizen of the gospel, you have ever experienced any encouragement because you're brought into this family and united together in the body of Christ, if you have ever experienced any, or the comfort that comes from knowing that you're loved by God, if, if you have ever had the Holy Spirit come and work in your life, where God has come and worked in you or through you, if you have experienced any tenderness from God or through God from your brothers and sisters, what Paul is unpacking here is the hallmarks of the culture of citizens of the gospel. What does it look like for those who are citizens of the gospel? It's a life of comfort in the midst of a trial. It's the life of encouragement from your fellow citizens. It's, it's the life of this miraculous partnership with God himself in our lives. It's a life of tenderness and compassion. And Paul says, my friends, make sure that you're living as citizens of heaven. And, and that means if you have experienced any of these things, if you've seen these things as part of your story since the beginning part of the family of Jesus, if you have experienced the culture of the citizens of the gospel, verse 2, then. Just to experience the culture is one thing. But you need to do more than that. Anyone can experience the culture, but if you're not a tourist, just here to experience the culture, you are a citizen. And so to be a citizen is to do more than just experience the culture. I experience Canadian culture every day. But it's more than that. I, I don't just experience Canadian culture. I contribute to it. I am it. I do it. I don't just watch it. I don't just look and go, oh, those Canadians, they're so weird. They're so quirky. Oh, they're funny language. They're funny way of doing things. I'm not somehow able to remove myself and say, well, that's not me. I am a part of Canadian culture. And Paul uses an interesting phrase to encourage them to take on the culture of the citizen of the gospel. He, he puts on his papa hat for a moment. He says, then make my joy complete. Then make my joy complete. It's like he's saying, if you've experienced these any if you've experienced any of these things, any of this compassion and encouragement and tenderness and love and partnership with God, then I need you to take the next step. And he says it like a parent watching his child take the next step. That is, he says, I'll be like that, that his heart will be overwhelmed with joy in watching you move forward. 
There's a certain joy and pride that comes from being a parent, watching your children move forward in life. A joy that, for me, is really only found in that kind of place. I mean, I'm happy when somebody else's kid takes their first steps. That's great. I'm, I'm happy for you. What, what a great accomplishment in your life. I'm, I'm happy when somebody's kid goes into kindergarten for the first time or graduates high school. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so happy for you. I mean, and, and I really am, but not nearly as happy as I was when my kid took their first steps. That, that was a big deal. It was, it's great that your kid can walk, but my kid can walk. And there's just this pride that comes from being a, a parent and watching your children do something. And, and Paul says, as your spiritual father, I will find so much joy if you can take these next steps forward in your walk with Jesus. Paul connects the, the blessings of Christianity, the blessings of being a citizen of the gospel, with the corresponding results in a citizen's life. We experience comfort, encouragement, love, and unity as saved believers in Christ. And as a result, we should see these same kind of things expressed in our lives. And he drives what home what he's looking for over the next couple of verses. The rest of verse 3 is all about unity. He says, having the same love, being of one spirit and of one mind, Paul calls for, for this unity in four ways. He wants the Philippians to have the same mind or the same thinking, to have the same love, to be joined in one spirit, and to be of one mind. Now, what this doesn't mean is that if we are real, true believers in Jesus, that somehow we should all think exactly the same, that we should all think the same way about everything. The goal of maturity in Christ is, is that we would all arrive, somehow that we would think that the goal of maturity in Christ is that somehow we'd all arrive at the same conclusions about everything and everyone. We're, we're not called to all think exactly the same. But the word that, that is used here, it has to do with more than just like the, the mental exercise of thinking. That, that when he talks about you'd be of one mind and, and one thought, it's, it's not just that we would think the same. It's referring more to an outworking of thoughts as it determines our motives our, 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 and through our motives, the way we act as a result. This doesn't mean that Paul's desire for the church in Philippi is, or, or for us is that we always have the same opinions. I mean, we can read in the book of Acts that even Paul had really strong disagreements with others, particularly other church leaders and apostles. And in fact, the reality is, is that it's often good and important that we have differences of opinions, as that will stretch our understanding of God, His Word, His mission, and His world. But we need to be wary not to let the differences of opinion destroy an individual's faith or, or the mission or the testimony of the church. But Paul wants the Philippians to think the same way and to have the same mind, that is to have similar attitudes and concerns and intentions and motivations, that not necessarily the results of our thinking would be the same, but the way that we think would be the same, that we would put Christ first, we would love God and love our neighbors, and we would allow that to inform all of our opinions and thoughts. And then as we do that, if we come to different conclusions, that's okay, because we're starting at the same place. Verse 3, he continues, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
following his focus on unity in the previous verse, Paul calls the church to avoid acting in greediness or dishonesty. Paul is showing the church that for them to live their lives fully as citizens of the gospel, then their focus needs to be to move from themselves and to turn to others. And while this isn't a new idea, Jesus said when asked what the greatest commandment was, he said to love God, and, and then he said to love your neighbor as yourself. This is Paul saying the same thing, but Paul takes a slightly different approach. Instead, Paul looks at the motives of what can pull us away from our loving our neighbors. He looks at the motives of, of why we don't do that. Wrongful ambition and pride. And when these drive our decisions, love and unity are not our true goals. Then he says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Now I know that time is, is closing in here a little bit. But there are a couple things that I just want to draw out of this verse for you. First, there's a saying about value that says that value is determined by the lengths that someone would go to to possess something. And what that means is that the value of something, or, or in this case, as Paul's talking about, someone, is something that you get to decide on. You get to decide the value. It's, it's not somehow an external thing that something has the same value to everyone. I get to decide what value things have to me. To show you this, what I mean. Um, I, I saw a video clip that came up on, on my Facebook feed. When, and it was, it was of a show called um, Pawn Stars. Now, I've never watched the show before, but this was fascinating to me. It, it was a clip of someone trying to sell a special edition of, of the original Mario Brothers game for, for Nintendo. It was extremely rare. In fact, they brought in some video game expert, and he said it was the only copy of this game in this excellent condition in the entire world. Now, I want you to do something for me. If you're watching this on our Facebook or, or in the chat on our website live, I want you to take a guess in the comments of how much this video game was worth. Just a guess. How much would you pay for this extraordinarily rare, one-in-the-world copy of Super Nintendo or Super Mario Brothers for Nintendo for the original NES? How much would you pay for that? Now, on the show, the expert says that the value of this video game, this Nintendo video game, was one million dollars. One million dollars for a video game. Now here's the point I'm trying to make about that. You may laugh and scoff at the idea of a video game being worth one million dollars. And for you, its value is nowhere near that high. However, for someone, they determined that the value is that much. So what is your value for the video game? Maybe for you, you would say, I value it five bucks. That I think my kids like that thing, so maybe I'll buy it for five dollars. But for this other person, their value was one million dollars. Now, we may look and scoff and go, you are insane. But they would say, no, that's about right. 
And we do this all the time with just about everything. You have friends that spend way more money on something than you would ever consider spending on that thing. Maybe you have family members that you look and you think, why on earth are you spending that kind of money on that? It is not worth it. You have friends, you have family, you have people you don't like, and maybe this fuels why you don't like them. But ultimately, you have people in your life, everybody in your life, that looks and says, I cannot believe you spend that much money doing that. Why on earth is that working for you? Um, Yvonne and I went to, to Las Vegas for our 10th anniversary. And, and we went to this restaurant. Um, it was called, I don't remember the name of it now. Darn, I can't remember. Um, but it's at the Venetian. And I paid $80 American for a steak. Now, it was the single best steak I've ever had in my life. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I would pay more if they asked me to pay more. It was incredible. Now you may say to yourself, I would never spend that much on a steak. That is insane. No way, a steak is a steak is a steak and I can go buy a steak and make it myself and it'll taste even better. It can't, trust me. You may think you can do it, but you can't do it. But the point is that we all look at things and we all say, it's, that's worth it to me, or that's not worth it to me. We do this with all things all the time. You get to decide value. And in the context of this verse, you get to decide the value of another person. You can choose to treat them with value, or you can choose to not. And Paul says, treat them with value. Value others. But Brad, you, you don't understand. What if they don't value me? Value them. But what if they don't treat me with respect? Value them. What if they're from a different background and upbringing from me? And what if they're from the wrong side of the tracks? Or, or what if they're down here and I'm way up here? Value them. Value them. In fact, I want you to do another exercise with me right now. I want you to just take a moment and think. Maybe say a quick prayer. And I want you to ask God in this moment to show you someone that you could value today. Someone that you could honor today. A name. Someone in our church family. Maybe not. Someone you're close with. Maybe somebody you don't really know. I am confident and I believe that if we just take a moment and we pray, God, would you show me somebody that God's not going to answer to you? Now nah, you're good. That God's going to drop a name into your heart. God is going to drop a person into your heart. And then what I want you to do is a name someone of someone you could practically live this out right now or when the service is over. Someone you could reach out to and demonstrate their value to. Someone you could show value to. And, and I want you to do something to help this be real for you. Because it can be easy to have this moment and then let it disappear. I, I want to, for you to do something to hold yourself accountable. I want you to write their name down. On a piece of paper, if you've got one handy, uh, if, if you've got paper and pen handy, on a note on your phone, somewhere, write their name down. Because once you've written their name down, 
it's hard to be like, yeah, God didn't tell me someone. But just, just write down that you're going you're gonna to value Sarah. And, and then you can go back to that and be like, right, I said I was going to do that. Right, I said I was going to do that. But whatever name comes to mind, write it down. And you can't just dismiss it or later or forget it. Write it down. Send them a message, a text, a DM, a phone call, an email. A drop by socially distant visit. But take a couple of minutes today and decide that someone in your life is valuable enough for you to do something about it. And the other thing that I want to draw out really quickly for you from this verse is that it does not say to think of yourselves lower than others. It doesn't say that we're supposed to think about ourselves in a horrible light. You are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe, of the king of kings, of the Lord of lords. You are an heir to the throne of heaven. You are made in the image of God. You are amazing. And we're not supposed to think of ourselves in lowly terms because we're made in the image of God. And if I think to myself, I'm garbage, I'm nothing, I'm terrible, I'm awful, I'm the worst, I'm saying that about the image of God. We're not called to think of ourselves as worse than others. But we are called to take our identity and the reality of who we are, and then we're called to think of others better than that. It's not about lowering ourselves. It's not about trying to place myself below everyone. It's about elevating others. So whatever you think about yourself, if you struggle with self-esteem, or perhaps you struggle with too much self-esteem. Wherever you sit on that thing, your call is to think of others better than yourself. And if you do struggle with self-esteem, I want you to know that you are amazing. You are wonderful. You are talented. You are gifted. You were created in the image of God, and he made no mistake when he made you. But as a result of us knowing that, we're called to think of others better than ourselves. And Paul will show us this in the last verse we're going to reflect on today. It says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you the, to the interest of others. Paul says that as citizens of the gospel, we need to treat the needs of others as more important than our own. And the other people as greater than us. By putting the needs of others first, we naturally will pursue the kinds of humility that leads to mutual love and unity. The emphasis is not on self but on others. And to close, Paul paints this amazing picture of God not just calling us to do this, but God himself modeling it for us. He says in verse 5, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming or by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we understand the incredible sacrifice, grace, and mercy of God on our behalf, we realize that we have no use for pride. When we recognize God's abundant grace, provision, and love, we understand that we have no need for selfishness. We need not focus solely on our own interests, 
because we rest in our Savior. We rest in our citizenship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been adopted into an eternal family and we can learn to love that family as the Father loves us. I will build my house where the storm won't drown on a rock that does not Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family, we go. I will not trust in the strength of kings. On your promise, I will stand. I will shout for joy. I will raise my voice, hallelujah to the Lord. You are staying fast, staying fast. You are staying fast, staying fast. In a moment. Emptiness always fulfilled in the hour of darkness. Your light was revealed in the presence of death. Your life was affirmed in the absence of holiness. You are still God. You are steadfast. Steadfast. Stay